Hello, welcome to episode number 50. 50 of Talking About Our Beautiful Savior podcast. We made it. We did. This is the last one. Never thought we'd see the day. He's joking. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how this one goes. So I'm Pastor Alex Groth. And I'm Steph Mr. Carrie Groth. And we have a special guest we do. today. Very important. Very. In our church and school. Very special guest. <laughs> Name is Natalie. <laughs> Natalie I'm like King really is here with us today. So Natalie King. Natalie King. Yep, an administrator in our, our church and our school. Does and a lot so of much different more. things. Yes. Um, I was thinking about today. You, you and Garrett came to the church like right as we were getting here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Too, so we've kind of gotten yep. to know beautiful Savior the four of us together, which is is pretty special. Yeah, it's so. been great. Yeah. I remember what you were wearing the first time I talked to you. Oh, oh really? Is, oh, we're gonna get creepy right away. <laughs> <in the podcast. laughs> you were sitting at a Bible study table with a mug of coffee, like a travel mug, Pretty and you had a scarf on. And I think it, I think your hair was longer. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I used to. Have you were really hair. nice. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Carrie. What was I wearing the first time we met? Um. Some sweet armband, like okay. for we didn't a need sweatband. We <laughs> yeah, didn't need to go to the mockery room. You look very sweet with, you look so nice. You just attacking me. Nope, that's fine. I used to wear a sweatband uh, on my arm in high school. It, it was cool and no, necessary. It wasn't, it wasn't cool. But that's the style of bands at the time. Yeah. I thought it was cool. That was it could come back. Yeah. You never know. I'll bring it back. Let's do it. Do it. I yep. can use this sweatband right now. Giant jeans. <laughs> I was wearing giant jeans probably from PacSun. No. A band t-shirt from Hot Topic. Fresh, I met you your sophomore year. Freshman year of college. Yeah, freshman year. You weren't wearing Jinkos the freshman year of Not college. Not Jinkos, okay. but like, yeah, big jeans from PacSun. Oh, wow. Yeah. Of course, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. Yeah. This is that. <laughs> this is all very valuable. <laughs> no, this will be fun. We wanted to bring in uh, Natalie, who's someone who's very important to us, and just, uh, yeah, the special 50th episode thing. Yay. So the service theme is where we've been in the Church God Wants series rather than the church that we want. And today's theme is a church willing to say hard things. We've got two really good lessons that hammer that home. I'm excited to talk about those. Uh, let's go do our Sunday school lesson first. So it's Rally Day is this Sunday, which is super fun. We're starting a new oh, semester. Oh, it's fall kickoff. Oh, sorry. Yeah, fall Whoops. kickoff. I said rally day. We've been changing it to fall kickoff because that communicates better to the community, right? Yeah. Right? What this thing is all about. People are like, we're what is kicking something mean? off, and yep. I want to be a part of it. Yep. Yeah. And we're kicking off a new uh, adult Bible class series in Sunday school semester, and we're going through the New Testament for preschool through sixth grade. So the first lesson on Sunday is an angel announces, and has to do with the angel Gabriel showing up to tell Mary something very special. So Mary is living in a small house in Galilee. And she's engaged to Joseph at this point. They're not yet married. We don't always know how old Mary would have been. I mean, I think everybody has their different views of how, or different mental image of how old Mary would have been, but most likely a teenager. So, which just makes her reaction to this that much more... Honorable. Honorable and Mm -hmm. amazing, the kind of faith that God had given her at this point. Mm -hmm. So, understandably, at first, Mary's disturbed by the arrival of the angel. And the angel immediately calms her fears, you know, saying, You've, you're, you are highly favored, which we should make sure we understand Whoa. what that means. I mean, she's she's highly favored because... God chose God chose her. Yeah. Like, not because of her, but mm-hmm. because of his grace. Because of his grace, yeah. So I think this is, this is one of those places where different denominations of Christians look at Mary differently. And as Lutherans, we have a ton of respect for Mary, just not, mm-hmm. not worship. Right, so that she's highly favored because God is, is showing her His grace here. This is this is a sign that God is about to do something amazing for you and through you. He's going to protect you through the course of this pregnancy, and her son would be named Jesus, which means what? Do you remember? He will save. His yep, people. the Lord saves. So isn't that the whole? That's like God's whole yeah. name. Like mm-hmm. He that's talks about everything. that throughout the whole Old Testament, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And so this is like such a special name, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And it was such a common name yeah. back then. Joshua, Jesus, yeah. And just that, I mean, I think names have changed a lot in our culture today. I don't know why. My name is Alex. Do you know why you're Carrie? Um, my babysitter named me. <laughs> <laughs> it means womanly and noble. So. Well, that fits. <laughs> yeah. My name means Christmas child, and I was born 
in July. Oh, so, <laughs> what do you Christmas know? Child. Wow, that is neat. Yeah, I, just, yeah. I think names today are more just, you know, couples looking through a baby book and this name is great. Or maybe we had someone in our family with this name. But yeah, back then a lot was communicated through the names and a lot of it had to do with God's promise, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah that is really cool. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mary's son would be even greater than John the Baptist. Now John the Baptist isn't born yet, but God is basically communicating to Mary, you know, you're, there's this forerunner that was promised before you know, the Messiah would come, and that forerunner's on his way. But the one that you will carry is going to be even greater than him. And just the, like we are talking about, Mary's maturity, she just says, I am the Lord's servant, which is awesome. You know, just God give me that kind of faith, that when God tells me something, that is either really difficult to believe or God calls me to do something difficult like he does in these readings, let my response be, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Do you know, I was looking at this text and I'm pretty sure the Greek for servant here is doule or doula. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, what a neat word because we still mm-hmm. use that word yeah, for women right. who help with, you know, births. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just yeah. kind of cool yeah. connection and language. Mm-hmm. So Mary is told that uh, Elizabeth is also conceived, uh, and you know John the Baptist is, is going to be her son. So Mary wastes no time. She goes to visit her cousin, journeys from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea, which is not you know a massive journey, but still, still some. Luke tells us the Holy Spirit filled the soul of Elizabeth, and Elizabeth receives a special revelation by the Holy Spirit that she knows this baby that Mary is carrying is her Lord, which... I mean, I don't know how many times I've gone through this lesson in, you know, teaching it or going through it in Sunday school or preaching on it, teaching it. But just the stuff you like, you don't think about the first time that Mary comes to her home, her cousin comes to her home and she looks at Mary and looks at her womb, her stomach and says, my Lord, like, that's just, that's awesome. That is an amazing thing. And you just think what that would have looked like visually. How odd this would have looked yeah. like for Elizabeth to look at Mary's stomach and be like, "My Lord is in there." But how how like comforting for Mary yeah, too? Right. Yeah, so I just I think um, that was something we, we talked about before the podcast started. So what what is um, how do you think Mary would have felt that first night when the angel Gabriel told her you're going to give birth to the Son of God? You go first, Natalie. Well, I'm just thinking like as. A young teenager like we're thinking she may have been um first fear then just being elated like finally the messiah is gonna mm-hmm. come you know and i get to be his mom and then back to fear yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah cause, because people would know well she's not married yeah so and she's running around telling everyone her baby is the messiah right <laughs> so she's a little crazy or you know she is going to have a baby that's going to be our savior. Yeah. I think I would have, I really like her childlike faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just that simplicity, like, all right, that's what God says and I'm on board. Mm-hmm. And what a dear friend, you know, Elizabeth is to help reassure Mary here Mm -hmm. and immediately tell her like we have this connection I know this God told me this and we're going to support each other in this yeah I think that's a great point I just think like you guys both touched on that that Mary's telling people or it becomes obvious that Mary's pregnant and it's like you either cheated on Joseph which says something about you and we're judging you now or okay yeah sure you're going to have the Messiah, the Son of God. So she's either yeah. looked down upon for being unfaithful, or she's insane. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Right. I mean, I, I mean, the likelihood that someone's going to... Even Joseph, I mean, has a hard time believing right. until God you know, sends a messenger to him in a dream to believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what a rough thing for Mary. And then to go to Elizabeth and finally have someone who understands and supports you and encourages you and and you're you're pregnant at the same time i just that's that's a neat thing that god did for mary and for elizabeth too for that Mm -hmm. matter uh we're told the child in in the in elizabeth's womb joins the praise by leaping for joy so that's john the baptist so just being in the presence of jesus is elated to be there um i've used this before too we sometimes talk about how much do children understand spiritually uh, even mm. in utero. And I think there's so much we don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what the current science is about, you know, what, what kids can understand in the womb. There's that 
you know, playing music for them and things like that. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to pretend like I know a lot about that. But I think this, this section here, you know, that, that God is able to take John the Baptist and allow him, before he's born, to recognize the Messiah, says God can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like God, whatever God wants to do in, in a child's heart or their mind or their heart of faith, God's going to do it. And yeah. I take a lot of comfort in that. Mm-hmm. That we sometimes, we, we define faith a certain way. And especially as Lutherans, we think of faith as head knowledge. You know, mm-hmm. these, I know these passages, I know these doctrines, I know these facts, and then I live them out. I live out my faith. But I think when it comes to a kid, God, God can make faith look a lot different. Yeah. And, you know, thank you for doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you. What did, what did our, all of us were, you know, infant baptism? Bap- no, oh, I that's was right. You weren't. How old were you when you baptized? First grade. First mm-hmm. grade. So, I mean, but you were still a Christian before that. Yeah. So what did, what did faith look like when we were very little? I mean... Not the way it looks now, but was it still saving faith? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And I, th- I think this this is a good place to go and say God can do things, to, you know, with a child before they're born that we, we don't understand. We just thank him for. Yes. All right, we should keep moving here. We're already at 11 minutes. Oh, no. <gasps> no. So, um, we'll keep, so Mary responds with throwing him praise to the Lord. We've, we've over different points of the church's history, we've used Mary's song as a liturgical song. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one, one setting that I really love that we do. We only usually use it during the Christmas season, but that holy is, yes. holy is, uh, your name. A lot of times yes. Tracy Poppy sings that. Holy yeah, that's so name. pretty. Oh, the magnificent. That song is great. <laughs> so, um, if, if you want, we don't, you know, for as much as we talk about Mary, we don't know a lot about her. No. Um, there's just, there's a little, a little bit in Luke 1, a little bit in Luke 2, and then, you know, Jesus, the miracle at Cana, there's an interaction with her there. You know, when she loses Jesus on Good Friday and gets him back on Easter Sunday, there's a little bit there. But if you really want to think about Mary's faith, probably her song is the place to go yeah. and learn the most about it. And her song is, is amazing. Um, so just this, this spontaneous song of praise, just a few things. She, she points away from herself. She has no special merit or worth. Uh, she calls herself a servant again. She'll be praised by future generations because of what the Mighty One has done for her. She calls her... Um, her son, her unborn son, her redeemer. Mm-hmm. So Mary's understanding of her own sin she and being saved. And what a heady thing to think, okay, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Oh, man. And this child that I will give birth to one day is going to die for my forgiveness. Like you said, you know, just the emotions that complicate it. The first night she finds out, it's like, not only am I pregnant or going to be pregnant, but also the Messiah is here. And just mm-hmm. like the weight of all of that, these thousands of years. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, however long it took from Eden to this point, like the weight of all the Passover sacrifices and the prophets and all this stuff, it's like, it's here. It's finally here. She's, she gets to experience that firsthand. Um, some of the contrasts, the, the beautiful imagery, the hungry he fills with good things, the rich he sends away empty. These are not literal things. This is a lot like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's those who hunger or thirst for righteousness. I mean, it's, it's those who understand how much they need righteousness. That's who Jesus fills. I think that the Pharisees, mm-hmm. the tax collectors that he hangs out with, those who are feel that they are already rich in righteousness, Pharisees, Jewish leaders, he sends them away empty. Um, I, I think of Matthew 11 when Jesus says, all who are weary and burdened will find rest in him. So Mary's song here is just talking all about how good God is and what he will do through this the Savior that she's carrying. I really love how in the Old Testament and New Testament, because that's where we are now, yeah. when they when when someone gets good news, um, and you know, their response is a song. Yeah. Like they sing, they can't help but like sing his praises. I just love that mm-hmm. because really, I mean, singing is such a joyful thing. Yeah, and the the spontaneous, you know, I just love that. Yeah. Cool. Do you practice that in your everyday life? I do singing actually. When you <laughs> ask Melville, yeah, yeah. Dog. I, dog. How often does our dog hear you sing? Well, or what kind of songs are you singing to? I sing her <laughs> hymns. Oh, actually. <laughs> well, what's um, her response? Well, a lot of Lenten hymns. <laughs> she she does not care. Um, which you is know, weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the idea of responding with song is pretty neat. And you do see, like, Miriam does that in Exodus, is that Exodus 15, after yeah. the Red Sea, David. that Miriam song. Yeah, David responds to that. Um, 
Zechariah, after you know John the Baptist is born, Zechariah's been mute for nine months in yeah. response to the song, which we also sing uh, as part of our liturgy in worship. But yeah, just through it. You imagine what that would be like just to be able It'd to... It'd be like living in a musical. Yeah, it would be. Like inspired by the Holy Spirit to just like this song comes out of you. That would be amazing. I think the dichotomy between Zechariah hearing mm-hmm. that he's going to have, you know, be the father of this child yeah. who's going to be super important to God's plan and then Mary who finds out about this child mm-hmm. that's like the center of God's mm-hmm. plan. Like yeah. the dichotomy and the difference is so... Just their response is so different. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the way that God is able to work with both of them. Yes. And yeah, Zechariah is kind of like, he's a priest. You right. expect them to be like, a priest or a teenage girl. Right. Which of them is going to handle this better? <laughs> the teenage you girl. The <laughs> and then, the, yeah, the priest just is very foolish and doubts mm-hmm. right away. And yeah. then God is able to teach him over those nine months. And Mary from the jump is just, yeah, may it be to me. As the Lord has said, I'm the Lord's servant. All right, Natalie, go ahead and sing something. Oh, no. Yes. No, you know, I, I have been invited to sing with the staff so many times, <laughs> and I have saved everyone from that. So. Believe me, though, I think you're a good singer. So do I. Oh, no. I was singing, like, I, so I went up to Michigan for a meeting on Tuesday, and I am... They gave me free cheese. I was like, free cheese? Yeah, I was at like, this not meeting? Purpose. No, no, at the gas. Sorry, I didn't explain that. Oh. I stopped at a speedway. Wow. And they couldn't scan one of the things of cheese that I was buying. They're like, just take it. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> and you busted out so- like a song? I was just thinking, like, oh, what if I had been like a beautiful, like, 10 like verse song about free that... cheese? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> just like, Barbering. this cheese will sustain me. You <laughs> <laughs> start doing that. <laughs> All right, so some of the overarching concepts of this lesson, um, to honor Mary in the way that Elizabeth does, that, that is God-pleasing. God, God chose Mary. Um, she was a, a sinful human being. She needed Jesus to die for her. But her faith is an example for people of all ages, men and women. We, we look at Mary and we see the faith that she demonstrated, the humility. And like I said before, God, give me that faith. So Elizabeth was like around a hundred years old, right? I don't know if she was a hundred. I don't she know that we're given her age, old. but I think I've, I typically have thought of her being more like seventy to eighty. People didn't live okay. quite as long oh, at this okay. point. So she could have actually taken it a whole different way and been like, "Why does this thirteen-year-old girl um, get to have a baby?" First mm. of all, like way before I ever got yeah. to have a baby. Yeah, and there's no jealousy there, yeah. right? And also like. She's having the savior. How come I only get the runner up? You know, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, it wasn't. Mutual, it wasn't about her at all. Yeah, mutual joy. Yeah, yeah. And then the last thing I had for the Sunday school lesson: just Jesus turns all human ideas of greatness upside down. You mm-hmm. just think of the, the different ways you would have expected the Messiah to come, to be born to a humble young girl in in Israel. It's not what you. It's not the story you would have written. Mm-mm. But it's because we're not God, and he he knows what he's doing. Anything else in the Sunday school lesson? I, well, I think the credibility, like, you know, we're not trying to make, um, like, you know, the writers of the Bible um, aren't trying to, like, be all showy and, like, make this, like, look, you know, proving mm-hmm. this is the Christ. Like, they're, they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Like, he just, he did it with his life. So, I don't know. Yeah, and even later on, you see God intervening and sending his angels to tell the shepherds, yeah. you know, and it's mm-hmm. just like, it's okay, Mary. Like, you don't yeah. have to worry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's move to our second lesson. So, remember the theme for today that church God wants, a uh, church that's willing to say hard things. So, the second lesson, I think, is what I'm going to preach on on Sunday, and it starts with the narrative. So there's the city called Antioch. Um, there's two Antiochs in the New Testament. One, the Paul and, and Silas, no, Paul and Barnabas visit on their first missionary journey and they convert a bunch of people there. This is not that one. Hmm. This is north of Jerusalem. This is actually the, the Antioch, the church where they got sent from on that first missionary journey. Oh. So this was a place that I, I'm reading as I'm studying for the sermon, you read that what, what Jerusalem was to the Jewish people this Antioch was to the Gentiles. So it's kind of like a home base for the Gentile church in Antioch. And because of that, there it's very relaxed there between the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, one of the things with this sermon, you get like 20 minutes, and usually I sneak like 25, 26 minutes. <laughs> no one notices. But I talk fast, right? So nobody <laughs> yeah. notices. So, I mean, how much to explain? The Jew-Gentile thing is just so foreign to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we have different 
different culture clashes in our world, but it's just not it's not like this in just the old Old Testament church. You know, to have to be a Jew and then to be a Gentile outsider, and now for God, just Jesus died, the walls come down, Jews and Gentiles are together. You don't have any food restrictions. You don't have you know these all these washings, these sacrifices. It's all done. So just what mm-hmm. a culture shock that would have been for someone like Peter and Paul. Right. God just to say like you don't have to do it. In fact, in Acts ten, if you remember, Peter has that vision while he's on yes. the house of Simon the Tanner with the food. It, yeah, the right? food yeah, being let down in this this um, sheet. And God says, you know, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And mm-hmm. Peter's like, no. Wait, what? <laughs> no, thanks, God. That's wrong. And God has to give him the vision, I think, three yeah. times. And basically he's like, no, I mean it. Like, get up and kill and eat. And then when he wakes up, you know, the guys from Cornelius' house are there to say, hey, come with us. And God says, go with them. And then the Jew and Gentile church begins right there. That, that time Peter did great mm-hmm. because he went to Cornelius' house. There's a bunch of Jewish people that oppose or, you know, criticize him for this. And he basically says, hey, God told me. Right. Jew and Gentile are together now. This is the way that it goes. So in Antioch, it seems like that had was there was a lot of freedom. Like if you're a Jew and you want to observe these kosher laws and have kosher meals and things like that, as long as you know it's not necessary for salvation, go for it. If you're a Jewish person and you want to eat pork, go for go it. Go for it. It's it's up <laughs> to you. These are all now what we call adiaphora. That it's neither commanded nor forbidden. It's a gray area. Do what you want. As long as it doesn't harm anybody else's conscience, do what you want. So Peter goes to Antioch at some point, and he enjoys this freedom. I mean, he's hanging out with the Gentiles. He's not observing all the Jewish customs. He's eating pork, you would assume, which is delicious. And then these people come. It's They're described as coming from James, who is... Do you know who James is? Do you remember who that is? Well, which James? That's he was, the key. Yeah. Which James is it? Is he leading the church in Jerusalem? He is. So yeah. Jesus' yeah. brother? This is Jesus' half-brother, yep. And the first James, um, you know, James and John, that James, I believe, is dead already. Uh, he's been oh. um, executed for his faith. Uh, so this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who's in Jerusalem. So when it comes from, when it says comes from James, you might think, oh, so James is approving of this, but it's not. It's it's what we would call, this is, you know, Interesting. language nerd stuff, but it's metonymy, <laughs> um, to, to substitute a name or a thing for another thing. So come from James just means these people are coming from Jerusalem. Right. James was so synonymous with the church in Jerusalem that to say he came from James just means they came from the, the Jerusalem church. Can you say that word again? That was a cool word. Metonymy. Yeah. Ooh. That'll sound really cool. Metonymy. <laughs> so, I imagine this could be like really intimidating mm-hmm. because these people from Jerusalem may have like this is where all the this is the Judaizer like yes, space, Judaizers, right? Yes. So the Judaizers, do you want to explain who the Judaizers are? Yeah, they're yeah. like they're they're the people who've been Jewish for for a long time, and mm-hmm. they are feeling like you know all these Gentiles are becoming part of our faith, and they need to also you know partake in the, our same customs right. and continue mm-hmm. with our our laws, circumcision, mm-hmm. and everything else, you know. Trapped in the legalism. Yeah. Right. yeah. So the interesting thing, they believed in Jesus. They were on board for the Jesus, mm-hmm. but also we got to do the Jewish stuff too. Right. right. And that's what Paul is saying. Like, the gospel's at stake here. That's why this is such a big deal. So why does Peter do this? So we should say, so these people come, and they come to Antioch, and Peter used to eat with the Gentiles, and now it almost feels like high school, like sitting with people in the cafeteria. That's how, like, immature it feels. So he stops eating with the Gentiles, and he starts only eating with the people from the circumcision group, it says. It just means that Judaizers, the Jews. So he withdraws from the Gentiles. He starts doing you know, the Jewish rites again, R-I-T-E-S, rites. And a bunch of the other Jews see this, and they join in what, what Paul describes as hypocrisy, yeah. to know one thing and then to do the opposite. So does Peter suddenly think it's important for salvation to do the Jewish things? No, he doesn't. So why do you think, why does he withdraw from the Gentiles at this point? I think peer pressure, I mean, yeah. like you don't want to, like they're, they are very important people and they're like smart mm-hmm. and accomplished. Yeah. Right. And I think Peter, like is it, Peter is the apostle who, um, his ministry was to the Jews, right? Mm-hmm. And Peter's ministry is for the Gentiles. Yeah. And so you have this kind of clash where both apostles are thinking about the group of their heart mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. trying so hard to um yeah that's interesting help you know the gospel grow in their heart and peter doesn't want mm-hmm. you know a lack of 
you know, I don't, what do you call that? Like just not being reverent, mm-hmm. a lack of reverence yeah. to right. impact. And it's such a yeah. real fear too. I mean, like, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to do something that could be perceived as irreverent by right. someone who very much takes it seriously. But that's actually what we should do. <laughs> so you both are putting a very positive spin on this, which I appreciate you, <laughs> your Eighth Commandment obedience to taking Peter's person uh. actions the kindest possible, which it could have been. But the way that Paul responds to it, it almost seems like right. Peter's He's doing cool. this because it'd be a hassle. If this gets back oh, to the people in Jerusalem, that okay, Peter's eating with the Gentiles, what difficulties is this, is this going to lead to Peter in his yeah. ministry? And yeah, because he's ministered to the Gentiles... Yeah, if, if people find out that I'm like the Gentile guy, you know, how hard is this going to make my work as yeah. missionary and mm-hmm. pastor? So it, it could be either of them. But regardless of what his motivation is, I mean, you, you could come up with all sorts of things he had told himself to make this right. Right. Yeah. But it's not right. And yeah. he knew that. He knew it. And you know how, like, frustrated Paul must have been by this because they had already gone through all of this. Like, I think it's Acts 15 where Mm -hmm. they do, like, the Jerusalem Council. We have already covered all this, so why are we doing this again? Mm -hmm. And I also heard a conversation about this section where, you know, it's talking about they, they, you know, wouldn't eat together. But if, if they're not eating together is that also a reference or possibly extending to the lord's supper like we're yeah. not even we're not going to commune with you oh, or not. it could be yeah i mean i think in first corinthians 10 i believe it is that's paul has to address that that you know their their celebration of the lord's supper had divided not necessarily the jew gentile there but rich and poor uh, so yeah, yeah this is extended to even you're you're taking the sacrament but you're allowing divisions to come up between you know, your Christian fellowship that shouldn't I, be there. I think, like, that's, like, the devil is really good at, like, getting people where, like, their weak points are. Because if you're someone who, like, takes God's word seriously and, like, you truly believe this stuff, but you're also, like, really, like, I want to obey the rules. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to do anything wrong. Um, you can then get stuck in that, you know, yeah. legalism. Um so the devil can distract you mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. way from the gospel and from Jesus. Yeah. Rather than, you know, okay, I'm just going to go sin and not care about Jesus. Mm-hmm. But, and it's so sneaky. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, and it gets even Barnabas. Barnabas, who's like so solid enough that Paul takes him on the missionary journey. Barnabas, who's called son of encouragement because he's so good at encouraging other people, gets led into this. So Paul confronts him to his face. And, it, I mean, you see how serious it is. Paul says he stood condemned. Mm-hmm. It's not like, okay, you're causing disruptions in the church, Peter. Like, you stand condemned where you are right now. And you are, you're a false teacher, Peter, is essentially what he's saying. So what, what did it take in Paul, do you think, to confront Peter? Oh, so much courage mm-hmm. and love yeah. at the yeah. same time, right? Yeah. Yep. It's courage to do it. You know, I'm, I'm going to say this hard thing. Um, it's love for, for Peter. There's, um, we've talked about our rival podcast, the Preacher's Podcast. We've talked about that before. <laughs> That's our main rivals. They don't oh. know about us, but we're coming for them. Oh. You watch out for us, Wells Preacher's Podcast. <laughs> um, no, I was listening to their, their episode yesterday on Galatians 2, and one of the pastors was just talking about how um, when we, we fail to warn someone about sin, oftentimes it's because we love their attention yeah. Yeah. more than we love them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was, that, that like got to my heart, mm. you know, loving someone's friendship more than you love them. Yeah. Wow. And like Peter didn't care about that, or I, I'm sorry, Paul didn't care about that because he loved Peter and he loved the people of Antioch. Mm. And also he trusted that God's word would do its work. Right. That's, and that's the thing, like he, he truly trusted, I'm. I'm doing what God says to do, mm-hmm. and it's going to work. And, and this does. has to be the work of the Holy Spirit yeah. because when when we sin, it's so often because we are being self-centered mm-hmm. and looking out for ourselves, yeah. right? And so, you know, for Paul to be able to have, you know, the selflessness mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to set him right with God before I'm going to worry about my yeah. relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Peter could have been like, uh... <laughs> Look at how you lived your life. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Is like, if you're Paul, you just think of all the things people bring up to... about your life. Yeah. Oh, you're going to teach me now? You're the guy that you know killed Christians? Like, right. you just, that's what you're thinking about, aren't you? If you're Paul, like, yeah, you need to get through all these things in my face. But mm-hmm. it just becomes very simple. 
for Paul. You know, this Peter is in danger, and he's put the rest of the Antioch Christians in danger. So this needs to be said. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you go into verses fourteen and fifteen. Um, so Paul says, "When I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew.'" Yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So he calls them out, which is great. Basically says, like, you, this is what you've been doing beforehand, which is fine. Now by your behavior, you're compelling those Gentile Christians here to now do Jewish things. How do you force them to do that? And then verse 15, this is, this is a little bit of, um, I don't know, if, if you would call it humor or what, but he says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. <laughs> I mean, obviously yeah. he doesn't think of Gentiles as being extra right. sinful. He's, he's making a point. He's saying, uh, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. So he's saying, like, Peter, you're a Jew, and you even know that these the Jewish stuff is not what saves you. So how dare you, you know, yeah. try to give this impression to these Gentiles that the Jewish stuff saves you? Basically, it's like, you know, when you would get in trouble with an adult, a parent maybe, and you already feel bad that you're in trouble, and they say, you should know better. You know, and you, you know, I'd expect this from this person, but not from you. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, that hurts a lot. I feel lot. like you got that a lot when you were a child, huh? Um, <laughs> I think, I don't know. I'm, my younger sister listens to this podcast. Maybe she, she, can, she can clarify. I, I don't know if they, I don't know if it was vice versa. If it mm-hmm. was like, my parents were like, I would expect this from Alex, but not from you. And they got in trouble <laughs> for it was like me hearing, I would expect this from... No, Ashley's the baby of the family, so she can be. <laughs> I wish we had a call in line right now. <laughs> yeah, like. yeah, Ashley, call in right now. You got my number. You know where I am. Come at me, Ashley. But no, just uh, it really hammers it home to Peter. Like, you should know better. Yeah, he he says three times. Yeah, and then that, that verse sixteen, um, we too will put our faith in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. Mm-hmm. And then phrases like this, this last phrase, are just so valuable. I think for us as as Christians who are trying to explain the gospel, including people Christians of other denominations, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. That just crosses off so much. How mm-hmm. do we get to heaven? Well, go to Galatians two, fifteen and sixteen, and. You, you see, it, it cannot be by our merit. It cannot be our, by our works. Paul is so clear. Yeah. And I just love, I mean, this starts out as a story. And he weaves in this doctrine to the story. Hmm. He puts it back in the life of a congregation, which is where doctrine often takes place. It is among people, among church leaders, um, working with people, among people working with other people. Doctrine is practical. And so you have, this is the most important doctrine here in verse 16, justification by faith. That's the, the doctrine Luther said, on, on this the church will either stand or fall. And the way that Paul, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is able to just weave it into this story is amazing and beautiful. And yeah. it's just like, it makes, us, underst- makes it underst- us understand it in a way that becomes alive. And right. I like that a lot. Right. It, I mean, it's, it's just such a good reminder of, like, what the things we do at, like, if you know I'm a Christian, anything I do is a testament to how good God is mm-hmm. and how much glory should he should be given or it's doing the opposite, you know? Mm-hmm. So I want to be aware of, like, it. that was something I learned your vicar year because <laughs> you had to teach me that some people, if they think it's sinful, then you shouldn't do it, even if it's not sinful. Because you don't want to, you don't want to trouble their conscience, yeah. and that was a really good, valuable thing for me to learn. Well, it's so, I mean, I think, and then you you try to educate too, right? right. I mean, you don't leave it there, but yeah. yeah, I think it's tough. We we know certain things are okay, and I yeah. think if other people don't, then you got to be patient and work with right. Them. I mean, yeah, there's lots of things. As I think Christianity has, you think of what Christianity was like in the 1920s. Versus what it's like now, yeah. you know, a hundred years later. Mm-hmm. And the things the Christian church was openly condemning, like, you cannot do this and this and this. Right. Things today, you know, that the Christian church is like, no, that's fine. Actually, we have a, you know, fellowship event that revolves around that thing, you know, yeah. just like whatever it is. Just, yeah. um, Coming up soon. Um, so, yeah, I just, yeah, so to, to be patient with others and to not do something that's going to cause them to sin, but also then to say, okay, this is what God mm-hmm. says about it. All right, Escalations 2, anything else there? So nope. Paul having the love and courage to confront Peter, that this that's pretty obvious how this fits into this 
uh, Sunday's theme. And then the gospel is, is essentially, when we think of church discipline, so when a church has to officially act with someone's church membership, this is probably the number one place we go. So Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Hmm. So what are the three steps? How would we break it down? Step number one, someone is caught in sin, what do you do? Carrie sins against me, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. she's like that sometimes. <laughs> and I go knock on her door, mm-hmm. and we talk about it. Yep. Yeah. Right? Yep. What would be the opposite of that, going to someone privately? I Yeah, so going to my, our other friend. Yep. You know, we got this trio. Telling many, many people <laughs> about yeah. what this person has right, done. Right. Which can you believe they did this? It then becomes sinful in and of itself, yeah. doesn't it? Right. You know, well, so. and you can you can even do that with a good intention, but still, like, right. you no, know, you need to go talk to that person. Right. Yeah. Not only does this give you the opportunity to like forgive, right, mm-hmm. repent and forgive, mm-hmm. but it's also like, well, maybe I'm the one that's wrong. Yeah. Right. Maybe I totally mm-hmm. misinterpreted. Right. We need yeah. to figure this out. Yeah. There's growth taking place yeah give yeah. someone the benefit of the doubt and the chance to explain themselves yeah. right so as opposed to i think what we often are tempted to do is tell a bunch of other people how this person wronged us because then it feels like i don't know it feels good in its own yes yeah, kind of yeah, yeah i'm the victim this yeah. person's bad don't you agree with me that this person is bad yeah so as opposed to having the love and saying let's sort this out just the two of us mm-hmm. what really helps me um when you know in this situation is I just realized like why am I not wanting to talk to them well I'm kind of being a coward mm-hmm. you know so I'll just go do it because God's gonna help me like yeah. he's gonna give me courage I I think I God's role coward. in that is so important though because you think about some of those really 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 serious sins that mm-hmm. get committed against people yeah and you may not have the strength yeah. of yourself mm-hmm. to go and speak to that right. person, you mm-hmm. know? And so sometimes this step takes a long time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's step two? To <laughs> bring a friend. Yeah, bring, yeah. Bring, <laughs> a bring a friend. <laughs> One or two. But choose wisely. <laughs> yeah, why, why would you choose wisely? Um, well, I mean, you definitely want to make sure you're choosing someone who is acting in love alongside you, not like judgment. Not someone who's gonna have your back. Right? Yeah, that's not the point. Like we're here to make you understand how wrong you are. Yep. Nope. Don't do that. The moment that that it feels like that is the moment the meeting is. Find someone you know spiritually mature with like the love that just pours out of them, and you know, you you know when that person is in the room, like you know, the love God love they love God and they love you. And what's what are you hoping to communicate to the? the person who sinned against you by bringing someone else along. I, I think that maybe um, you're willing to have a discussion about this objectively, mm-hmm. um, but also, you know, you're concerned enough yeah. that you're going to bring someone else from your church to come talk to you. Right. Like that's a special <laughs> intervention there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And taking that step to, to like show them I'm not in this to to get you in trouble with the church. Right. Like, I'm just, like, we're doing this thing because, mm-hmm. you know, we love yeah. you. And we don't have to, you know, broadcast it at all. Right. Yeah. So I think it does the two things you said. One, it ratchets it up for them. Like, this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. We're not going to let this slide. And then you have a witness. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's not like, well, this person, I said this, they said this. And it's like, well, we don't really know what happened. No, now you have an objective person that says, oh, this is this is how it went. Mm-hmm. How many times might you carry out steps one and two before moving to step three? <laughs> Seventy-seven. <laughs> I mean, you keep going. I mean, what, when, when would you find it? So step three eventually is taking it, making the whole church matter. And that's typically the way that a church carries out this kind of church discipline, which we often call excommunication, is you would call a meeting of the church and you would say, this is what happened. This is where this person is spiritually. And then you would vote. Do we remove this person or not? It would have to be unanimous. That's so heavy. It yeah. is. So yeah. I think every church tries to avoid this as much as possible. I've never been a part of a church that was, you know, that did this, and I'm thankful that I mm-hmm. have not. So 
Yeah, you would do it over and over again to try to avoid step three. But when, what would be the, the key or what would be the cue for you that you need to move it to step three? When it's beginning to rob other people of faith or sure. put their faith in jeopardy. Yeah, so if it becomes kind of like a Peter and, and Paul situation in Galatians 2, or, I'd say, or if the person says, I hear what you're saying, I just don't think it's wrong that yeah. I'm doing this. If they, if they kind of end the conversation with that, like, you can tell me whatever you want from the Bible. I don't think this is bad. Mm-hmm. Then, for the sake of that person's For their soul. Health, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes a whole church matter. What, what does Jesus mean when he says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector? Oh, I love this line. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah. And I know it sounds so crazy, but you read this and um i don't i guess this the niv that i have is old version but mm-hmm. it does say pagan or tax collector i think some some use a gentile or a tax collector and you think who did jesus have yeah. dinner right. with who he did he them. he loved yeah. them and he invite them to church you know yeah. <laughs> like, tired one of them yeah i think the word pagan becomes I think of like the the negative connotation. The church lady from Saturday Night Live, the Dana Carvey, like again. <laughs> I know that's not a great skit to reference, but I think it, it's a good stand-in for how it can feel. Like treat them as you would a pagan. You know, yeah. this person's bad. Treat right, them and as a bad so person. what is he saying there? He's saying treat them like someone who who you want the gospel yeah. to win over mm-hmm. their hearts. Yeah. yeah, someone who desperately needs to hear about Christ Absolutely. in response to their sin. So kind of like go for like be even more you know like love them harder Mm -hmm. (laughs) than you were before Mm -hmm. so you would still want that person at church yeah oh yeah absolutely union at that point but you would still want them at church for sure you'd still reach out to them so the goal is always restoration Mm -hmm. whether it's individual or church-wide right Mm -hmm. uh the last three verses there um we've talked about the keys the keys of um, the binding and loosing key. Truly, mm-hmm. I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's Jesus just giving us that very heady instruction that when you handle these keys, it's a it's a big deal. We don't take law and gospel lightly. We really think very carefully and pray very carefully about using them. Yeah. And then he, you know, the verse, those last two verses, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask, they ask for it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So just this is the church's work. God promises to bless us in a certain way when we come in church. God is always with us. I mean, ten chapters after this, Jesus is going to say, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. But in this section here, he's promising there's, there's a special a special presence that he blesses the church with, as in, especially when they're carrying out the work that he's given them to do. What is it, exactly does that look like? I, I don't know. I can't tell you. But I think probably it means, like what you were saying before, that Peter goes, or Paul goes to Peter knowing God is going to bless this word. Yeah. He makes promises like this here. Yeah. And can we talk about, you know, this whole two or three together in my name? I mean, I, I, I feel like that is so misused. You know, like if I go out on a walk and the or out on a hike mm-hmm. on Sunday morning and I am worshiping my God, then yeah. he is there with me and that counts, you know. And right. it's like, yeah, can you do that? Yeah, yeah well, for course, sure. But, great, but also. is that what God intended yeah, for yeah. worship, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Is, he's talking about the work of the church officially, not yeah, two or three gather for a devotion and then that replaces corporate worship exactly. or your membership in a church. Like this is, it's it, that verse is put in the context of a church carrying out discipline together officially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The the importance of being connected to a faithful congregation and being a part of it consistently. Yeah, that's certainly taught here. Okay, Jesus Sinners Does Receive. Do you have that in front of you, Carrie? I do. Do you want to read it? Sure. You could sing it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Just starting okay. I'm going to give you a really high starting point. Okay. <laughs> I can't do it. Should I read? Should I read? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Jesus Sinners Does Receive. Oh, may all this saying ponder, who in sin's delusions live, and from God in heaven wander. Here is hope for all who grieve. Jesus sinners does receive. Now my conscience is at peace. From the law I stand acquitted. Christ has purchased my release and my every sin remitted. Naught remains my soul to grieve. Jesus sinners does receive. What do you like from that? I already said this is one of my favorite hymns of all time. 
that Jesus is still there for mm. us, no matter what we do. Yeah. We can easily fall into despair because yeah. we know we're sinners. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have faith, you know you're messing up every day. Mm-hmm. And it's just so comforting to know that his arms are still open for us. Yeah. Uh, who in sin's delusions live? I just think how often sin tricks me into doing something that I think is fine. Mm-hmm. And God has said, this is the opposite of fine. And so I'm caught in those delusions, and I, I from God in heaven wander, and yet Jesus receives me. I really, um, yeah, I love teaching this for hymnology um, to the fifth and sixth graders because it's like, it's so, it like pierces you two different ways, like in good ways, a good pierce. Um, like he receives me, like I... I am a sinner and he receives me. But also like then you see like that love that you can show to others. Like Jesus received me. Like I can receive you. Um and it, like you know how when you're growing up there's if you're the one in class who like feels awkward or like you don't feel I don't like know you what belong. That's like. yeah, it was always <laughs> <laughs> Ashley can tell that. Um if you feel like you don't belong like Wow, that's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that, I love it. I love for the outcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think when I was um, growing up in Wisconsin, there was this church on Good Hope Road um, that had a big blue neon sign in their north. Like the, you could see into their narthex, and it was like kind of um, smoked glass. And behind that glass, there was a neon sign that said, Sinners Welcome. Nice. And I was, uh, I, mean, I, just, I was like that. I'm sure now yeah. if I saw it, I'd be like, that looks really tacky. Because <laughs> <Right? laughs> it, like, it, it looked like a bar sign. You know, that's what it was look, looked like. But the message, I mean, that's the yeah. first thing they wanted. I mean, it was a very busy road. That's cool. So we want you to know, if you're a sinner, there's a place for you here. I'm right. not advocating that I like our cross, no, yeah. sunglass out front, but I do like the message. Mm-hmm. Sinners welcome. That's good. Yeah. All right, last question. How have you appreciated someone saying hard things to you? Mm. Do you want me to go first? Sure. Do you guys gather your thoughts? So I went away to high school. Um, When I was 15, I moved to, it was only an hour away uh, to Luther Preparatory School. But it was a lot, you know, to to go out as as a 15-year-old and be not on your own. You know, you're not on your own. But still, to not have my parents there, you know, five, sometimes seven days a week. And you just develop these relationships with, with the guys that you room with or that you end up playing sports with or just people that become your friends. And you just get very comfortable saying difficult things to them. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, I can think of multiple times in high school where, yeah, like that hymn says, in sin's delusions, I was living, thinking, this is fine if I do this. And having friends that love me enough and had the courage and trust in God's word enough to, to sit down and say, like, what you're doing is bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we love you too much to be quiet about it. And I'm, I'm sure I didn't always handle it very well as a high school student. I'm sure I was, you know, kind of like, Peter could have done with Paul, I'm sure, about, well, you do this and this and this, so how dare you confront me? But I think back now, I mean, one of the big reasons why I still love those guys so much is moments like that where they had the courage to confront me about stuff and yeah. say, we're, we're worried about you, and that God had the love to use their words in my heart, mm-hmm. you know, through the Holy Spirit, that I could say, you're right, I'm sorry, thank you for, thank you for doing that, so. Yeah. You go ahead, Nancy. Oh man. I well I think I'm I'm just thinking as you're sharing that story about how much I wish I had that when I first went away to college. You know, I went to Indiana University mm-hmm. and it's an interesting culture there, yeah. you know, it's becoming more and more um I don't know. Um I I think the support of things that are not in line with what God has in mind for us is is, you know, troubling. But at the same time, like I participated in things like, you know, you go to parties and Mm -hmm. silly stuff when you're young and you just you don't pay attention, you know. And I wish that someone had said to me, nah, you need to get your get your stuff together mm-hmm. and you know why are you not showing up at church you know yeah. I remember there yeah. was a pastor right there on campus and um he would always encourage by inviting mm-hmm. you know but I never had a friend who said to me you need to be there yeah. and I think that would have really helped me stay in the church mm-hmm. throughout that period of my life mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, that's great that's Thank really you. good I took this a different way Okay. I mean, <laughs> you guys had much better answers, but I'm sure this so be good. I immediately thought about my freshman year in college, also. Yeah. But it was I, I wrote my first paper, and I thought it was well done. 
but I got a C. I got a C on my paper. Might as well get an F. I was like, Mm -hmm. I was just like astounded. Like, what is this? (laughs) Um, And, but reading his feedback, my teacher's feedback, um, like that helped me become a better writer. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think that's, that's, that's a good picture of what God wants us to do for each other. Because I think there's a way we convince ourselves I'm a good Christian. Because we use our own standard. Right. I, I feel like I'm a pretty good person. Like, no, I got to see, man. As opposed to, no, the standard is God's law. So someone mm-hmm. holds you accountable to, this is what God says. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. important. All right. It's a good episode. We promised last week we would update the the listeners, our massive audience, on what ninja gymnastics class was like. Oh, yeah. Want, I was not there, but do you want to describe it? Well, so yeah. So we described the boys thinking that they were going to be doing... Forgot to mention, Liam asked on um, Monday if you needed to wear a ninja outfit. (laughs) Like, very sincerely, not being funny. Like, he's imagining himself in some sort of, um, what do you call those outfits? The karate. With the the thing. The karate gi. (laughs) With probably, I'm sure, a mask over his eyes. Like, DJ mask. That's so Mm -hmm. great. Um, Well, it was funny for me as an onlooker because I got to see them have to work hard and not be able to like not work hard. Oh, you find that funny? Like they, <laughs> yeah, that I do. <laughs> they had they like had to keep going when they were tired and like didn't want to, but like, you know, they're they're going to be ninjas, so mm-hmm. they they right. just did it. And my the other thing was interesting and I had to decide whether I was going to go along with this or not, but they were both very sweaty afterwards. <laughs> like very very sweaty. And they did not want to shower. <laughs> and I was also very tired and very sweaty because it was in like a lodge thing in the oh. YMCA. Oh, yeah. It was super hot in there. Um, so I, 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 I didn't make them shower. Oh, my You goodness. didn't? <laughs> no. Oh. I, I gave them a kid wipe, you know, oh. baby wipes. <laughs> I was tired. I was picturing like a fun, like core memory story to end the podcast and now it's like no our foster kids are not hygienic uh, no they are it's just you know keeping it rhymes i'm too tired hey. <laughs> you would you would have had them shower i don't know I yeah don't know. you would have maybe oh do you okay last thing do you want to give up the, the package by the bears this week yeah a score oh or do you want to do Bengals browns no, I want to do Packers Bears. Okay. And she can do Bengals Browns. Sure. What? Yeah. So <laughs> football is foreign to me. I'm from Indiana. <laughs> so, uh, twenty-seven. Okay. That's the Packers score. Okay. And then, thirteen. Twenty-seven, thirteen Packers over Bears. Yeah. Great. Wow. Natalie, Bengals Browns. <laughs> uh, no clue, but I did see that. What's our quarterback's name? Joe Burrow. Yeah, he mm-hmm. just signed a contract. Like two hundred seventy-five million oh, bucks. Yeah. That's a big one. That's yeah. a good number to that share. Is good. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Can't <Yeah>. imagine that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Natalie. This was really fun. Thanks for inviting me. Okay. We'll see you later. Bye. 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 Bye.